Welcome to the Salted Carmel Podcast from Our Lady of Mount Carmel Catholic Parish in Carmel, Indiana. We have the opportunity to hear individual faith stories and learn about how God has touched our parishioners in their spiritual journeys. I'm Tom Ponchak, Director of Adult Faith Formation, and with me today is my co-host, Jody Curtis. Our guest today is Father DeOrio. Father DeOrio, thank you for joining us today. And tell us about yourself and your length of time at the parish. Sure. It, well, thank you guys so much for having me. Um, as uh, mentioned, I'm Father James DiOrio. I'm originally born and raised in New Mexico. Spent uh, all my life there until college. Then I went to University of Notre Dame for five years, and I studied aerospace engineering and philosophy. Then I was sent by Archdiocese of Santa Fe at the time to Mount St. Mary's Seminary out in Emmitsburg, Maryland. And I spent uh, two years there before transferring to the Diocese of Lafayette in Indiana. Then I did a pastoral year here in the diocese, two more years of theology, and then spent my first two years of priesthood at St. Alphonsus. I've been here at Our Lady Mount Carmel for about two and a half months now. Nice. So it's been uh, it's been awesome so far. <laughs> um, so if you could think back, uh, what was your life like before you can recall having like a true relationship with Christ? For me, my story's uh, a little interesting that there wasn't a concrete moment per se of conversion. It, my mom is very practicing Catholic, my dad as well. I remember going with my mom to daily mass on occasion and uh, adoration, praying the divine mercy or the rosary. But I think maybe a moment I can really point to is there's a question that arose sometime maybe fourth or fifth grade, and it was, if God is the most important thing in the universe, then shouldn't the amount of time I spend with him reflect that? And it was an interesting question because I knew how much time I spent in school, seven hours a day. I knew how much time I spent with my friends or with family. I thought there's no way that I'm supposed to spend more than seven hours of my day with God. How, how can you do that? That's not possible. So I somewhat dismissed the thought, but it was somewhat in the back of my mind and troubling me. So I think part of my conversion story really is a development of finding the answer to that question and what it means, because the question never really went away. It is somewhat bound in my vocation to the priesthood, but I think it's a question we all have to answer regardless of what vocation we're called to. So again, I don't have a concrete moment where I didn't know God, and then suddenly I knew him manifestly, and everything was different after that. It was a a gradual unfolding of that mystery, the question, if God is the most important thing in the universe, shouldn't the amount of time I spend with him reflect that? Yeah, I love that question. It's a great thing for all of us to consider. And Father, what is your life like in Christ now? I think if I could sum it up in one word, it's striving. Mm -hmm. I think to say that it's over and done with is just not true. It's not true for any of us until the day that we die. So for me right now, life in Christ means I'm a priest, but first of all, it means that I'm baptized. And my life in Christ, number one, is living out the graces of baptism. For me, that captures my entire life and my meaning is bound up with God and who I'm called to be responding to his love. I find myself at times 
not responding fully to that call, whether it's a concrete sin or just a defect not turning to the Lord. And I find that struggle, especially whenever there's free moments, when there's a task to do, especially when it's being done for the church, it's very easy to say, okay, this is what I'm doing now. This is how I'm responding to God's call. But then when that moment comes, when the task is complete, the question immediately is, what do I turn to? And I think all of us, we want to see us turn to God more as time goes on. We want to see our desire to fill those moments where we come to rest after task is finished. We want to see those moments of coming to rest in God more and more and not fill it with other things. I think uh, a really great insight for me came doing the Exodus 90 program. I first did it in seminary, and I've done it several times since then. And Exodus 90 is a program that really sums up for me what it means to live entirely for God in the middle of all of the different penances that Exodus comes with. You know, no movies, television, internet for non-research purposes, no alcohol, uh, fasting Wednesday and Friday. There would come a moment especially on Friday at seminary, where a lot of guys were relaxing, going out to eat, maybe seeing a movie, having a drink, catching up, things like that. None of those avenues are open on a Friday evening for Exodus 90. <laughs> you're just kind of stuck there and you're, you're caught up on work. Things are going well because Exodus 90 really drains <laughs> so much of the excess where we spend our time in non-productive ways and in non-active um, ways, it really all disappears. And it's it can be frustrating. You can't even listen to music unless it raises your heart and mind to God. So you're really left with no medium to shut your brain off. You're always active. What's amazing is this is how people were completely not more than 100 years ago. Nobody had any sort of leisure that wasn't also active either you're asleep or you're active. There's nothing in between. So when I no longer had those avenues to shut my brain off, it really confronted me with the question, what do I fill the time with? How do I spend this time? So I think that was a great uh, wake-up call and a, a help for my spirituality, for sure, not just as a priest, but just as a, a Catholic man. Right. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, you know, every time uh, we have conversations with uh, priests or religious, everyone wants to know what was what was it that first drew you to uh, that discerning the vocation to the priesthood? And I and I guess as a uh, added question to that for you, uh, what made you decide to finally study for the, the diocese of Lafayette in Indiana uh, over going back to New Mexico? Now that's not fair. Those are two huge questions back to back. <laughs> <laughs> no, for uh, I'll tackle the first one first. So I had the great grace of knowing a priest pretty well. When I was 10 years old, he came to the large parish. My family and I, we went to the parish that was a small country parish. It was outside of Albuquerque and Rio Rancho. Rio Rancho is a suburb of Albuquerque. That's where I was born and raised. But just outside of both those towns, kind of nestled in between them is a two-lane road, one lane each direction, and it's called the Village of Corrales. 
and that's where my church was. It was the church of San Ysidro, St. Isidore. It was mainly a farm community, and much smaller. It didn't have the huge uh, things that we'd find in a suburban church. But we often went to a suburban church in Rio Rancho. It had 5,000 families, and it wasn't unlike Our Lady Mount Carmel. It's, it's similar in, in many ways, although I do think Our Lady Mount Carmel has uh, out, outshines it in many um, and it's a privilege to be here. Mm-hmm. But St. Thomas Aquinas was the big suburban parish, and they had Mass at 9 a.m. and 6 p.m. So super convenient Mass times as a young man, especially during summers. That 9 a.m. was just a great, great time. But it was at that parish where they'd have three or four priests, and I met this young priest. He was actually in his 40s at the time. He had been a lawyer for 15 or 20 years. He had been practicing law in New Mexico, and he was bright, on fire with the faith, and he became a close family friend. He was actually the priest who ended up preaching my first Mass, and he vested me on ordination. He's still out there in New Mexico, and um, just a great man. So to have an inspirational figure so close, to be able to ask whatever questions came up, to have a model of the priesthood, that's instrumental, absolutely, for my vocation. And I think something that's not talked about a lot is the role of my natural father in the midst of discernment. I think for a young man, your father is absolutely important to introduce you to what fatherhood is. So to talk about the priesthood and not talk about my dad would be impossible. I say natural father because, of course, our Father in Heaven is our, our supernatural Father from whom all fatherhood flows. But my dad, he uh, he still plays soccer to this day. He's 65 years old, so it's amazing. He's out there on the soccer field every Saturday and as many practices as he can make. And as I was growing up, he was often an assistant coach or head coach for my soccer team. And that time spent with him one-on-one was awesome. Towards the end, I was mainly goalie, which means I got to do a lot of drills with my dad one-on-one while everybody else was doing the other drills. So his impact on on me in that time together was just instrumental in my vocation also, and I couldn't neglect mentioning that. I think the concrete moment, it's very easy. The disclaimer is this is not the norm. Guys come to the vocation to the priesthood or women to the vocation of religious life in many different ways and often more subtle than the ways that I was called. I remember I went to a Catholic high school in Albuquerque called St. Pius X, and our theology class would go to Eucharistic Adoration on Fridays, first Fridays especially. I remember I was sitting in the back of the class, and the Blessed Sacrament, the Eucharist, was exposed in the monstrance. And for those who don't know, the monstrance is uh, a beautiful... um, metal container that has the host in the middle, uh, the the bread that is truly the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. And it usually has the metal radiating out from the center. So the monstrance was on the altar holding the Eucharistic host, and there was a kneeler just in front, nice in the very back row. And I had this prompting in my heart to go kneel down on the kneeler right in front of the Eucharist, and I thought to myself, I, I don't want to go. You know, I don't want to be judged by my classmates for 
then who's this pious, holy, presumptuous person? You know, so I ultimately I did end up going and I knelt down and I pretty much said in my mind, okay, well, I'm here. (laughs) And at that moment, I heard in my heart in the clarity of that silence, become a priest. Uh And I knew it wasn't from within me. It wasn't like a voice I heard from outside. It was definitely a voice in my heart. I knew it wasn't my own voice. It kind of reverberated, shook around my mind, and I knew it was important. I knew it was it. And as I was going through all these other thoughts, I heard it again, become a priest. I said, okay, I understand. I didn't really know what to do with myself afterwards because I'm a sophomore (laughs) in high school at the time. I remember... I would be like a minute man of God that I would respond whenever he called me to put into motion this plan. And I still don't know the full effect of being called at that age. I think it preserved me from many things. It wasn't like I avoided dating on purpose, but it just was something I wasn't drawn to. It didn't, didn't really develop in, in high school after that point. So through that guidance, I always knew I was called, and I had no idea what the interim looked like. I knew I was going to be a priest. Now, you asked another question, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. How did, how did you end up in our diocese? But that, that's, a, that's just a great, great vocation story, just a reminder how God speaks to us. You know, even today, He can speak into our hearts. Uh, we can turn to Him for, for guidance for that. Absolutely. And how, how important Eucharistic adoration is. I think um, there's a priest, I can't remember who said it, but he said, if you want vocations from a parish, it needs to be two things. First, long confession lines, and second, Eucharistic adoration. They have to really go in that order. It's hard to have perpetual adoration when you don't have long confessional lines. But once you talk about the importance of confession, people are living in a state of grace, striving to live in a state of grace. So when we have that silence, we can actually hear God speak. And then when our hearts are ready, because they're made pure through the sacrament of confession, then Eucharistic adoration can truly be fruitful. We're not in a state of grace when we're in adoration. It's difficult to hear the Lord because it, it's not, our hearts aren't ready for Him. So I think that double whammy, that one-two punch of confession and adoration is so huge. So I think um, just another reason why it's a blessing to be at Our Lady Mount Carmel. Yeah. And how how did you end up here instead of New Mexico? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's a great question. I still don't know all the reasons why, but so I, I went to Notre Dame, studied aerospace engineering. And then after my first year, my freshman year, I emailed the bishop the Archbishop of New Mexico of Santa Fe. And I was an official seminarian for the last four years. And I added the major of philosophy. And much of my formation was through Opus Dei. There was a, a house off campus that did a lot of the formation there. And Holy Cross wouldn't take me because I wasn't a Holy Cross, Holy Cross seminarian. And campus ministry can't train you for the priesthood. They, they're just helping students have an encounter with the Lord. So they were really the only ones. Without them, I wouldn't really have the formation needed for a seminarian. Yeah. After those years, 
I was sent to Mount St. Mary's and it was in the middle of my second year, I was home for Christmas and I had made all these spiritual preparations. I was finishing Exodus for Christmas. I remember on the 24th, I had prayed all morning and then I had an encounter with a few people and I remember being with my mom and dad and being at home and I somehow my preparations I needed I needed to leave so I said hey I don't know um, I'll be back for midnight mass but I need to to go and pray so I went away and I remember I just had this feeling of something's not right and it was complete lack of peace I remember calling my spiritual director was Father Brian Doerr at the time, and just called him on the phone. I said, I really need to talk to you. I need I need help with this. I don't know what it is. And he said, that's fine. You're coming back. You'll have your five-day silent retreat when you get back, and we'll, we'll discern about what God's asking of you then. So I came back, and during the five-day silent retreat, just opening myself to whatever possibility God might be asking me, and it became clear he was asking me to leave the diocese, which was very, very hard. The only place I've ever known. And I felt like I was being called to be a missionary, to leave homeland and family and uh, everything. So that passage in Matthew's gospel really resonates with me. And the apostles say to Jesus, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. What about What about us? And he says, no one who's left father or mother, sister or brother, wife or children or homeland will not only receive a hundredfold in this life, but eternal life in the next. That's a passage that's very dear to my heart. Over the next few weeks and months, I continued to discern this. And there were moments when I didn't want to, to leave. And there were moments where I did want to leave. But through that entire process, it was God that was unchanging. And I always felt called to leave. So I could actually tell God's will because my will was so vacillating and changing. Mm. I still had this constant prompting to leave. And then things got really hard because I thought, well, the only other diocese I could consider was the only other diocese I lived in, which was Fort Wayne South Bend. <laughs> and so I did a, another 800 question psychological battery, met with a psychologist again, um, do all the things you need to do to switch a diocese. And they said, well, we can't even take a look at you before you disaffiliate with your home diocese. And that's a typical thing because you don't want to steal seminarians from bishops. Bishops like to get along and it's not good for one bishop to poach from another bishop. <laughs> so I had the hardest conversation of my life to this day, telling the archbishop who had done so much for me out in New Mexico that I was leaving the diocese. And then time rolled on. I, I was looking at Fort Wayne South Bend beginning in February and May comes around. And about a week before finals, I hadn't heard anything still. So I send them a message. I said, well, should I be putting a resume together or do you have a place for me for the summer? And they said, it might be a good idea to put a resume together. And I thought, I, I can't do this after seven years of formation. Yeah, I'm not ready to enter into the world. I'm looking at a ton of student loans. I'm looking at, uh, I don't have a concrete place to go. I'm not ready to go back to New Mexico because 
of course, my parents have no idea what's going on and <laughs> why I'm being called to do this. So it's, I didn't really have a, a place to go. So I remember I was worried what destination do I put into my GPS and whatever I do, that'll be my home diocese, I guess. <laughs> so I originally went, drove to Fort Wayne, South Bend, but I did put a call in. I remember I was so angry, not with with people, not with God. It was just at the situation that having given my life for seven years to the Lord, that I wouldn't know where I'd end up. And I remember that the Lord was angry with me. I remember that he didn't want me to be treated unjustly. He, he wanted me to have a home. And in discernment, it's amazing. We think for our vocation that it's so important that God would have to command us every step of the way who we should marry, whether we should be a priest or be married, all of those things. And it's not true. From God's perspective, our vocation is so important to us and our freedom and the way that we are to be holy that he can't do it without our full freedom. He chooses not to. That would be an encroachment and a denial of the gift of freedom that he gave us. So sometimes the only way he can make sure that we give our entire life to him is by leaving us in darkness. So I knew I had to leave the diocese, but he didn't tell me where to go. So in my mind, I'm thinking I have good friends in Wichita, Lincoln, Arlington, Peoria, Lafayette in Indiana. Any diocese is as good as the next. What's, what's one place over another? And I had to base my decision on one of my least favorite criterion, which is emotions. So I, I loved the men of Lafayette in Indiana, especially Father Cole Daly and Father Cody Owens, Father Brian Doerr as well. And at the end of the day, I, I said to Father Doerr, yeah, put a call in to Father, Father Hasser, our vocations director. And that put things in motion. So I ended up having my first assignment for Diocese of Lafayette. It actually took place in Fort Wayne, South Bend, irony of ironies. And it was at Holy Cross College. It was the Our Lady of Mount Carmel Confirmation Retreat, oh. <laughs> which has a different connotation for me because for me, it was the Confirmation Retreat. It was a confirmation that I was in the right diocese ah. just because of the graces and fruits I experienced being there. It's really pretty amazing. And in some ways, come back home to Our Lady of Mount Carmel, the place where my life in this diocese began. Yeah. Even though we were at Holy Cross College. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, our parish is big on being grateful no matter what. So this week, what are you grateful for? This week, um, first thing that comes to mind is for my brother priests. They're just a rock in my life. I get so much strength and energy from them. So many ideas and sharing of just sharing of life, which is life-giving for a priest. I think without brother priests being left on our own, it's very easy to get stuck in a rut and just go about life being torn from one direction to another and not seeing the whole picture or the vision and losing that zeal for souls and desire for holiness. So being with my brother priest 
reminds me that I'm part of something much larger and mutual sharing and enriching among us is a great help for me in ministry. I count on them a great deal. So that's the number one thing I'm thankful for. Nice. And Father, what do you think are your specific gifts for evangelization? I think, first of all, is wisdom. That's a gift I prayed for very often when I was young. I was inspired by Solomon's prayer for wisdom. I think God has granted that in many ways, and I'm very grateful for that. I love teaching, absolutely. And I love knowledge, just knowledge of the faith and the spiritual life. So all those things are are huge gifts. And then in addition, my desire for fraternity, priestly and otherwise, means that I'm very relational. I really want to spend time with people, not just sit at a desk and do a bunch of tasks on the computer or whatever. Those are important. We all need to do those. But for me, what gives me the greatest joy is being with others, whether it's um, visiting people's houses or going by the school, spending time with people in the office, whatever it is, that's what gives me the greatest joy, especially teaching. So I uh, just a shameless plug here. We have an Advent Bible study that we'll be doing 7 p.m. in the St. Thomas Aquinas Room, and it's going to be December 3rd, 10th, and 17th. We're going to do... Um, Bible Basics for Catholics by Dr. John Bergsma. It's an excellent resource for in orientation to the scriptures. This is a very introductory Bible study. But if you've been intimidated by the scriptures, this is definitely the place to start. There's a book that goes along with it. So even if the uh, lectures are a total loss, which they won't be, by the way, I'll, I'll make sure. But even if, if the lectures aren't your sort of style and the the conversations afterwards, the small group conversations, you have an excellent book by Dr. John Bergsma, who knows what he's doing with scripture to help orient you in the midst of scripture study. So I consider him to be a great asset to the church, and I'm looking forward to that Bible study this coming Advent. Excellent. How do you like that, Tom? That was great. Is that that good plug, Tom? That's what that was. We like those. Yes, see more details at olmc1.org slash Bible dash study. Did I get that right? Perfect. (laughs) So this is the Salted Caramel Podcast. So what keeps you salty this week? In addition to one of the things I already mentioned, which is priestly fraternity, I would say number one, most important is prayer. The thing that I'm, I'm not staying salty. I'm not salted. I'm not salt of the world unless I'm praying. And second is study. Study, when priests stop studying, preaching dies. I think study is absolutely important. And not just homily prep, but study beyond that. That's just enriching for, for me on, on theology or philosophy, whatever it may be. Literature, even. Those things give such a depth to our humanity. So not neglecting study is is huge. And I always get great light from, from study. Nice, nice. 
Father, we'd like to end with a call to action. And I think I'd like to refer back to how you started about your question that was asked of you when you were a child in that how God is most important in our lives, yet how do we spend most of the time in our lives? And to have our listeners reflect on that, how much time they're spending with God, listening to God. You've certainly had shared several stories with us today of how you've listened to God's word and and followed his will in your life. Could you end us with a prayer? Sure, absolutely. But uh, to your first point, right? Just some concrete things. So I would say for those of us who work in the world where it's not necessarily pertaining to ministry, right? To offer each hour of work that we do in the office for whatever it is for a particular person or a particular intention to continue to pray and to fast. So dedicate the first five minutes of every workday or your best five minutes of the workday to say a decade of the rosary or read some scripture. That's a huge um, sacrifice to make, but it takes our best time and gives it to the Lord. I think also, uh, in addition to offering all those things at Mass, to offer all of our joys and sufferings up on the altar with the priest when he raises up the patent and the host, to offer everything with him in that moment. And I think spending time in front of the Eucharist is absolutely essential. So those are the ways I really think that we can can act um, towards living in his presence at all times. Because at the end of the day, the answer is, we can spend every moment with him, even dedicate our sleep to doing the work of the Lord. If we end our day by saying, Lord, may I have restful sleep so I can serve you more in the next day, then we can spend 24 hours a day with him. So that's key, just having those reminders throughout our day to offer everything we do for him. Now for our final prayer, let's uh, begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, as we contemplate your work in our lives, please help us to see the graces that you've bestowed upon us that we have not seen. Help us to be grateful for everything you've given us. Help us to make concrete resolutions to grow in holiness every day so that we can gradually, more and more, bring our hearts in line to your will. Please give us strength to make, make it through those times of darkness when we don't know what we're supposed to do, but give us the courage to step forward anyways and to recognize your will and your promptings when you're directing us in other directions. Please allow us to have the wisdom to know your will and to be the light to shine out into the world and to be the salt of the earth so that all humanity may one day enjoy the beatific vision. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 May you be blessed by Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.